Passionate DJ Podcast, where it's all about becoming a better DJ through passion and purpose. And now, your host, David Michael. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Passionate DJ Podcast. I'm your host, David Michael, and with me is Trip Turlington, the DJ who's going so underground, his backyard's full of holes. <laughs> How you doing, buddy? <laughs> What are you doing back there? <laughs> oh, man. Um, <laughs> digging a hole. <laughs> uh, just a, a minor um, gray water septic system backup <laughs> issue. So had to find a clean out out in the yard to have, uh, have a little bit of work done. So it was going to save us $1,000 if I dug the hole myself. So. <laughs> $1,000 will buy you a very nice DJ controller, which you could check out at passionatedj.com forward slash controllers. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, so Tony's not with us again today. I'm kind of jealous. He's been working 90s fest. And oh, so yeah. he's been like, he's like, sorry, I can't make it. I'll be hanging out with Bone Thugs and Harmony. And <laughs> right. I'm like, you got to be kidding me, man. And Jazzy Jeff, too. And Jazzy yeah, Jeff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's he's probably having a good old time. Oh, so. yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's been he's been really busy lately. So I've, I've been, you know, uh, I'm sure that there's a bunch of people who've been, you know, wondering where, where Tony is. No, we did not. <laughs> we didn't kill him. We didn't, uh, you know, hide the body or nothing like no, Not no. yet. <laughs> Still safe so far. <laughs> no, I'm sure as uh, festival season winds down, then uh, we'll be able to uh, uh, get Tony back in here a lot more. So, yeah, for yeah. sure. So the first thing that I wanted to bring up, Trip, all I can say is go home, Roland. You're drunk. <laughs> what? What is Roland up to? I, I, uh, it's, I'm so confused. At least with, with okay, so what, what what David's talking about? We is, brought this up a few episodes. Yeah, ago. the 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 DJ eight hundred eight, um, which was the uh, the super secretive, uh, super hyped up announcement from Serato and Roland. Um, and what it all essentially boils down to is it's a it's another controller to enter the market. Um, it's green. It's very 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 green. <laughs> Um, which is not a bad thing. I like green, yeah, but fine. Um, it, it's very alien spaceship-ish, I guess, because of the tone of green or something. <laughs> I don't I don't know. Um, it looks kind of like uh, a, a green version of a DDJ-SX, yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Very similar. Um, with but, an exception. <laughs> with one major exception. Um where it it essentially has the functionality of an 808 built into it, and um, you know I have to be honest, I, I I haven't seen very much good reception on it. I've tried to keep my my opinion of it tempered, um, you know, to kind of let you know the public you know have its opinion and you know me look at this thing you know from a different perspective and and try to you know be a little bit more pragmatic about it, but. You know, even when you think about uh, DJs who incorporate 808s into their sets, you know, it, take your Egyptian Lover or your or your DJ Funk and and things like that. And, but they're still they're, those are vinyl DJs. I was just gonna say that and, they're, they're going to use tables almost right, exclusively, right? <laughs> and you know, for everybody else. 
that's coming into this. I, I'm just, I'm not sure. I guess what, instead of going the long way around all of this and turning this into an entire episode, my question is what problem are they trying to solve? Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's such a weird mishmash of products because I, I guess, yeah, it's like who, who wanted this? Who right. is this for? Right. Um, cause I, in a way it's kind of like, Oh cool. On my controller, I also have an 808 <laughs> neat, but it's like, right. It seems like such a weird, unnecessary addition to a DJ controller. It's so it's basically has the, well, I'll just read this comes from digital DJ tips. The DJ 808, it's a four channel controller that comes with an integrated 16 step drum sequencer loaded with sounds from the iconic Roland drum machines, the 606, 707, 808, and 909. It lets you program drum patterns while you DJ. It can also be used to trigger the updated Serato DJ 8-slot sampler. Other controls include two jog wheels with green center LED rings, 16 performance pads, very, like I said, DDJ-SX-ish. It also comes with a Roland VT voice transformer, which has a slew of effects that can change the quality and pitch of a vocal, Ideal for live performers and DJ producers who want to sing or gig with a vocalist. You can also hook up synthesizers from the Roland Era line to the DJ 808 via the Era. Am I saying that right? Era mm. Ira USB link sockets, allowing you to make the DJ 808 the heart of your DJ producer live setup. It, it's, <laughs> why? Right. I, like, and and you know, I mean, I'm not because I'm a Serato user. And, um, you know, I, I don't own any Roland gear, but I have used Roland gear in the past. Um, but as far as my productions are concerned, but like, I just, maybe it's me that's short sighted, I guess I, I or, or something, but I just, I, I don't, to me, Serato's the winner in that because, you know, now that, Pioneer has record box DJ, you know, Serato no longer has that exclusive, you know, yeah. like I can release, you know, everything to the Pioneer line yeah. and have it integrated with the hardware, you know, so maybe that's what this is, is them throwing out a line and saying, you know, okay, if we can't depend on Pioneer, who's another really reliable hardware brand that we can get to uh that we can get in bed with rather than you know taking on the responsibility of making their own gear like uh, yeah. native instruments and pioneer do it's to it's me complete speculation on my part of course but sure. like i just i i, I just i don't see this it, <laughs> it seems like it's solving a problem that doesn't exist right and it seems a lot like roland is doing a very rolandy thing and trying to glom on to a DJ market that they don't really have a have foot any in, business yeah. in. Right, yeah, right, have a right, foot right, in. Right, I right. don't mean have any business like they shouldn't be there, but they don't seem to understand, or maybe I don't understand. Maybe they know something I don't, but that just that's such a very specific hybrid. <laughs> right. And to me, it sounds like, so like you brought up the point earlier about your Egyptian lovers and people like that who use an actual 808 in their live setup. Yep. They're going to want to use an 808 <laughs> and they're going to want to use that kind of gear. And so if this is introducing maybe those 808, 909, 909 type sounds and way of working to a newer generation, possibly, but it seems like giving an excuse to 
mash all this stuff together. It seems gimmicky, I guess. Right, right. Instead well, of useful. Exactly. And I mean, like when, when you look at like the, all the videos that are out for it, you know, now, so like all of your reviewers are hitting YouTube, YouTube pretty hard with it. Um, their own marketing videos and stuff like that. Like when you, when you watch these videos, it, it doesn't, I, I don't know. Like, for me, I, I guess it, uh, when I play out, I'm playing tracks that have drums. <laughs> you know, like, right. I know that sounds so asinine for me to say that, but like, <laughs> you know, like uh, if I'm playing tracks, you know, I'm even if they're my own tracks, like the drums are there, like yeah. you know, the sounds are there, like I, I, I never have I ever needed just to throw a beat together real quick on the fly so I could get out of one track and into another track or to, you know, bridge some gap or something. So like, I, I don't know. I, it now, seems like a very uncreative way to mash those things together. Yeah. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Because like when Egyptian lover or somebody like that does it, they're, they're bringing something cool and interesting to the table. Whereas this is like kind of purpose, purpose built, weird mashup, you know? It's yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, and like, you know, a, a lot of the videos that like, I, that I watched on uh, the video reviews that I watched on this thing, it, it just, I don't know. Yeah, it, it definitely seems real gimmicky because then like all of a sudden like everybody's trapping the shit out of their snares and right, right exactly. <laughs> like, you know, it's yep. just, you know, a bunch of beat repeat, you know, like whatever. And I'm just, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. I like trap, but it's just, um, I, it, I would expect just, a lot of very halfway thought out beats coming out of people's DJ sets for an hour and a half long because they can just randomly throw in 808 sounds. Exactly, exactly. Not that they couldn't do that anyway using, you know, a launch pad or whatever. Right, right. Or uh, the performance pads on on any number of uh, controllers that are out there now and stuff like that too. And, you know, remix sets can play one shots and stuff. They don't really sequence necessarily, but... right. Yeah, it's just it's just weird to me. I I don't get it. And they haven't, or they may have announced by now. I haven't seen a price point yet. Fifteen hundred. Is it fifteen? Yeah, okay. yeah. So I mean, it's not it's it's not the worst hit to the wallet out there. But I think to me, there's bigger bang for the buck out there. Yeah, so. it, and to be fair, it looks like a a decent controller. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it really does. I mean, especially but. when you're when you're talking about Roland, who's been a a, a huge player in the production game for decades. You know, so yeah. like you know, it, it's not that. I, I I don't think it's a poor build quality. I mean, you can look at the thing and you can tell it's it, it it's pretty solid. Um, but I just. Uh, I don't know. As far as, like I said, I think the biggest thing for me is is exactly what you said. It, it It's solving a problem that didn't exist. Speaking of which, they didn't stop there. Did you see they also released the DJ or the TT99 turntable and the DJ99 mixer? You've not seen Shut that? Shut up. Oh, let me show you here. I've got a picture. Shut up. So it's they both say 909 on them for some reason, because neither <laughs> of them have 909 in the name, and they're styled like a 909, but it's DJ gear. So that seems like a weird cash grab situation as well. <laughs> um, so the, 
The TT99 looks a lot like uh, your standard techniques layout that you're used to. It's probably a super OEM turntable, you know, that right. we see people rebranding all the time. Right. Um, and the DJ99 is your very basic two-channel mixer. Yeah, it's uh, like EQs. an old. That looks like an old Gemini, like a, like the uh, oh, what was the the model it, number on it? It's it's a DJ Tech model. Okay. You, you can look up the DJ Tech right now, and you can see it, and you can see side by side comparisons. It's not even Roland did not make this thing. I promise. <laughs> like I, I have found this exact mixer as a generic OEM product on Alibaba.com. Shut like this up. is a, just a Chinese mixer that they've put a skin on, and oh, so no. I'm. I've heard good things about those mixers for what they are, but right, why right. Roland would want to put their name on it really confuses me yeah no kidding it just seems very you know i'm, I'm not trying to like, are you sure I'm not that's a, not photoshopped like no it's it's a real, real thing it's a real oh. thing yeah it was announced at uh, bpm 2016 it's ugly it is ugly. <laughs> like no i get i mean i of course that's that's uh, it's all subjective but um yeah, no, that's ugly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, the, so the two-channel mixer, it's it's your very basic. There's nothing right. fancy about it. Uh, it's got a crossfader. It's got two-channel faders. It's got your EQs and gains and, you know, your queuing system, and that's it's very bare bones. Sure. Um, it does have a mini innovator in it. So does the Chinese OEM version. Right. Or the DJ Tech version, if you want to call it that. So, I, yeah, I don't, like I said, go home, Roland, you're drunk. <laughs> I'm... <laughs> You know, I, I'm a huge fan of all the old Roland machines. Like, well, yeah. Don't get yeah. me wrong. Iconic. And, and, but I don't and, know what they're yeah. doing right now. No. It's so weird to me. <laughs> yeah. And and Serato, I mean, you guys just just suck it up and, and create a, a, a hardware department. Like, yeah. you know, you don't have to run around and, and get in bed with everybody. Like... There's there's a logical progression to all of this. That's it's why Native Instruments makes their own hardware. It's why Pioneer makes their own hardware. That way you're not reliant on somebody else. You've got the name. Like the name and the brand and the recognition is already there. So to like it, you know, just go go for it, you know. Find yourself the hardware engineers and Put together your own gear. It almost seemed like, and you know, obviously this is speculation again, but it seemed like they wanted to just they wanted Pioneer to be that for them. You well, know, like they wouldn't? wanted to to work with them, and they yeah. that seemed to work for a while. Yeah, you know, I mean, who wouldn't want? I mean, Pioneer's name next to yours all the time, and and to you know have that brand association all the time. Yeah. Like, I wonder how long the parallel Serato record box thing is going to happen, or if that's a temporary situation. I don't know, but I'm glad that I'm I, I got the SZ when I did because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can run Serato and I can run record box and. Uh, the more that I play with record box, the more I like it, uh, yeah. more than, um, Serato. And, really? Um, if for no for other, record box DJ, like the yeah. actual software. Yeah. Well, if for no other reason, um, because the more that I use record box DJ, if I put my crates onto my thumb drives and I go play on CDJ two thousands or, you know, the nine hundreds yeah. or whatever, all of my cue points, all of that stuff just goes that is pretty handy yeah so um that that, i mean that's now i mean that's one that's one positive point you know amongst a you know a whole uh checklist of pros and cons but that's a pretty big pro yeah (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, for our main topic today, Trip, I wanted to talk about pre-planning sets. This is something. Oh. Yeah, this is something <laughs> I'm seeing a lot of on social right now. It's something that comes up pretty often, but there's usually some conversation that kind of stirs it up again. And right now, yeah. it's this thing with uh, with Jaws, which we'll get into sure. here a little bit later. But um, I kind of want to talk about why people pre-plan sets, why they may or may not want to. Um, and just some other general considerations and things that kind of come into play, especially if you're, say, a big name touring DJ, or if that's your, if it's what you do, that's your your bread and butter. You know why that kind of thing happens, and maybe kind of address both sides of the subject because it's really easy for us to right off the bat be like, you should never pre pre plan any sets and do everything on the fly, and and you know our 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 DJ ego starts to to come up. Sure. Um, so I just wanted to kind of maybe break that down and, and talk about that for a while. Sure. Um, well, let's let, let's start like this. Uh, do me a favor. Close your eyes. Imagine you're standing on a stage and there's 30,000 fans. You're at one of the biggest and most famous festivals in the United States, okay? And the DJ before you is about to wrap up, and now it's your turn to rock, okay? Are you prepared? Now open your eyes and when I when when we say are you prepared that means something different for different DJs and different performers. Um and and that that spectrum is pretty wide these days. Um there's some level I would assume uh of pre-planning and I'm using air quotes there um that goes into every DJ's show. Now we can get into those specifics in a little bit, but to some degree, um, we all prepare for our shows. Now, pre-planning sets, <laughs> that's that's a really hot right. button topic for a lot of people. And in my opinion, it's it's a great conversation to have and you know, there's there's some reasons for it, and there's some reasons against it. And you know, I I, I tend to lean towards the the against it, but with a lot of ca- caveats to that. That's basically where I sit. Yeah. But let's see how we how we move the conversation. If right. I still feel the same way by the end, right? <laughs> so the the hypothetical thirty thousand person crowd that we were just talking about is the, a situation that actually happened to Jaws, the guy that you were just talking about. Um, and it happened at Lollapalooza. <laughs> yeah, talk about panic mode. <laughs> right. So he's opening for, or he's, he's following uh, Marshmallow and he realizes that the show that he had spent days preparing for he didn't move the tracks over to his thumb drives. So, <laughs> you know, uh, so, you know, you shit or get off the pot, right? Like, yeah. so obviously he did what he had to do. He got up there and he, and he played a 100% free form feeling the crowd out and, and rocked his set. Now, after what he did was really interesting after the fact he, you know, uh, took some video and, and, and tweeted that out and, and then put out there, 
exactly what happened. Yeah. A moment of raw honesty, like, you know, like, yeah, I typically do this and pre-plan all of my sets. I had a bonehead move and forgot to move all of that stuff over. So I, you know, I took over manual control of the plane and I flew it, you know, at this huge show for 30,000 people. And he talked about how much he got out of that. Like what, yeah. what, what the reward that, you know, the, the juice was worth the squeeze, you know? Right, right. <laughs> so, um, that, that, that's a bold move because mm-hmm. not only is it saying, you know, Hey, this is a, not just something that I did. So there's already that stigma that he's putting on himself, uh, by people who have, you know, a bad connotation with pre-planned sets. But on top of that, you know, he's saying how rewarding it was and how, you know, yeah, uh, all of that. So um, it's both shedding some light on this, right. uh, on this topic. It's getting, you know, the DJ community all worked up again, you know, even within our little microcosm of, right. <laughs> of, of DJing in our town, you know, uh, you still hear button pushers like, yes. like, I mean, that there, that is, that, I mean, that is the derogatory term to call a DJ these days. And, and, and unfortunately I feel like it's, it's, uh, you know, one of those, uh, pejoratives that are thrown at Man. anybody who doesn't scratch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, and, and whether that's true or not, but you know, it just, um, that that that's almost how it feels, you know, yeah. or, or, you know, if you're not manually beat matching or if you're not scratching or if you're not doing all of these things and, you know, is there some level of truth to button pushing? Sure. But, um, you know, to the, to the point of today's topic, as far as pre-planning sets, that's where I think the hotbed yeah. of this whole issue lies because it's the conversation of do you just get up there and press play on some collection of music that you have put together in a certain way beforehand yeah it, it kind of speaks to the autopilot situation right. we talked about a few weeks ago maybe right. from a different perspective but like how much forethought went into this and how much are you just letting ride and how much are you actually performing exactly exactly um, I have some quotes from uh, the Facebook page of Jaws. He says, My heart dropped 100 feet out of my chest to the floor. My brain started racing, having no idea where to go or even what song to start with. I scrambled through my sticks as Marshmello finished his set and found the track I was going to start my Lollapalooza set with and said to myself, Well, I guess you have to wing it in front of 30,000 people. Here we go. So thankfully, he was able to avert disaster, like you said. He goes, in the, in the end, the set was incredible. As always, the energy in Chicago was through the roof and helped me flow through the set, even though I didn't have a second to think because I was scrolling so fast through the 500 tracks on my USP, <laughs> figuring out what to play next. And then he talks about the lesson that he learned. He says, the moral of the story is that just because someone plans out their set doesn't mean they can't DJ on the fly, open format, etc., Most of the time, even if I have a, quote, planned out set, 
I'll go off track from it, but especially when we only have 60 minutes to fit in every single awesome track we want to play, having a plan of action beforehand can be invaluable. On the other side, though, one of the most rewarding feelings can be having absolutely no idea where you're going with a set and letting the, cr- letting the crowd guide you through it. Yeah. And then the final point he makes is, the real point here is that neither one is wrong. Whether someone has meticulously calculated their set list or is playing a completely unplanned set, at the end of the day, we're here to entertain you, the fans. I don't care about proving anyone thinking I'm a good DJ, mixer, whatever. All I care about is making sure every single kid in the crowd has an awesome time. So, next time you're arguing with your friends about, quote, real DJing, take this into consideration. Hmm. And I, I really appreciate, like you said, he, he had that moment of raw honesty where he, he didn't try to cover it up. He didn't right. try to sweep it under the rug or not address it or even be snarky about it. He's right. like, right. hey, here's what I do. Here's how it went. And there's merit on either side of this issue. Um, which obviously, you know, resonates with me because we we present a lot of issues like that here on the show where it's like, hey, not everything's so black and white right. as we tend to think it is when yeah. it comes to DJing. Yeah, agreed. Um, so maybe we can kind of go over some reasons that we would pre-plan a set. Why Why does that happen? And I say we, why one, you know, some <laughs> DJ would. <laughs> the indefinite we. Yes, yes. <laughs> Um, so, you know, the obvious thing that, that comes up first is just the busy schedule. Right. Um, it's, it's really difficult, especially if you're a a touring DJ to figure out how to, you know, have everything just because you're playing on the fly doesn't mean there's no preparation. And you kind of touched on this in the beginning, I think where, you know, set prep, a lot of people tend to think of as I got to beat grid my tracks, I got to set my cue points, I got to, you know, tag my stuff and blah, 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 and set and create my playlist. And it's it's not always that. I mean, sometimes it's just having a general direction and knowing that, hey, this week I'm playing in L.A. and they expect something different than if I'm playing in Memphis or Dayton, Ohio. Right. You know, so it's it's some of it's the, those psychological kind of aspects and the the concepts, um, but the actual music prep does come into play. I mean, very few of us are just grabbing records and throwing them on now. Right. Right. Um, <clears throat> uh, stage production. I mean, that's that's huge. You know, we we talk about kind of these big LED walls and pyrotechnics and all that kind of stuff and and. A lot of people, especially at these big, big festivals, expect all that stuff to be coordinated. Well, even when you're talking about people who aren't DJs, like, and that's that's another caveat to to this whole discussion, is that you know who are we talking about being DJs and button pushers versus who's who's actually DJing? Yeah, you know, um, because if you take somebody like Dead Mouse, who famously what three, four years ago was in Rolling Stone magazine and we all push play. Right. Exactly. We all push play. I'm not a DJ. DJing is stupid. You know, <laughs> you know, I and mean, typical dead mouse. Style. Right. Right. <laughs> typical Joel, you know, but, um, but I mean, he makes the point there that, you know, what he's doing is pretty involved and, increasingly so especially with the festival culture 
that is expected all over the place. You know, so how do you coordinate, you know, visuals, you know, lights are one thing. Lights have always been, you know, pretty intelligent. If you've got the right lighting team, you know, you can get, you know, lights to look great to whatever. Mm -hmm. But when you're talking LED walls and, and things that are coordinated and, and going to happen in time with, you know, different pieces of a set, you know, breakdowns and buildups and, you know, and all that stuff, you know, sometimes that has to be coordinated. And how do you coordinate that if somebody's on, on the fly yeah. the entire hour, you know? So I, I could, I could see, you know, where that, where that point comes into play when you're talking about a production as big as like your EDC or tomorrow world or, you know, yeah. any, anything like that. Yeah, it's like you're competing with a whole bunch of other big-name DJs who have these big visual productions and things that go along with their DJing. Right. And on top of that, another point is that, you know, if they're playing a festival set, they might only have an hour or something. Yeah. And they need to cram all that stuff in. This is kind of what uh, uh, Jaws was talking about. They need mm -hmm. to cram all their all the things that the crowd is expecting to hear that yeah. day, especially, you know, especially if we're talking big name EDM or, you know, something like that, uh, or a producer turned DJ who has, you know, some number one hits and people yeah. are coming to see them play their stuff. If they're expected to do, to do that, how do you not pre-plan that? Right. There's an interview that I want to play later, um, that, that we'll talk about, um, where that's, that's not an uncommon point for a certain caliber of DJ. Yeah. Like absolutely. once you get to the that upper echelon and it's it's like that's that's a very common point that that gets brought up um uh, quite often. Yeah. And, and and for those and and when you're talking about, you know, DJs up at that level, you know, I I think that there's for better or worse, there's been a a push for what I like to call perfection and polish. Where, you know, because everything is so pristine and the lights are just so and the LED walls are doing the exact thing at this mm. exact time and, you know, pyro is going off when it's supposed to and confetti is falling from the ceiling, you know, just all of these things are all perfect in time. So, you know, again, going back to like the coordination with, you know, stage you know, production and all of that, but it's that whole perfection. How do you, how do you maintain that perfection and polish if you're going off the rails over here? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, so what about maybe a little more down to earth, maybe people who are, are more like my level or <laughs> not touring and, and doing all this kind of stuff. I mean, yeah. Um, I still like, there's an element of pre-planning that goes into my sets. Well, and I don't pre-plan them, but there, there's, there's a piece of that there for sure. sure. I do prepare. I think, yeah, I think there's a difference between preparation and pre-planning a set. And, you know, I mean, and quite honestly, I mean, it's, it's not a new concept. Like I can remember, you know, 15 years ago that, you know, we used to laugh DJs out of the booth when they would show up and they've got their entire set yeah. already, you know, written down on a, 
on a piece of notebook paper. <laughs> right. Like a with, band would have a set it, list. Right. And, and, yeah. and some of them would even go as far as to mix out at, you know, second breakdown, you know, li- like little, you know, notes that are, you know, done in, in the comment section of your ID three tags now, but yeah. <laughs> you know, um, uh, you know, so this is not a new concept, but it, it, for whatever reason, it's, it's one that's had its stigma for a long time. And, you know, for all we know, maybe this person works three jobs and has 12 kids and is still trying to DJ, you know? Yeah. So I'm going to make one set and I'm going to play it for six months. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, I, I, I don't know, but, um, you know, there, there's, I, I'm sure there are reasons for that, you know? And yeah. I mean, you know, of course I took it to an exaggerative degree, but you know, I, I think it, it could be easy for somebody to to blur that line or cross that line from, you know, I am preparing, which means I am creating a crate. I'm going to grab 20, 30, 40, 50 tracks that I like that are all similar that will go with this night. And then I'm going to run through them, yeah. you know, that week before a show or a couple of hours before a show or whatever, and just try to, you know, get a feel for how I'm going to put some things together or how they'll work together, or you know, get my, my mind into that groove or that flow for the night. And, and then, crossing that line into okay track one will be this track two will be that track three will be this and track four will be that you know and yeah. and going through and and planning that out for that hour like i i think for some people who may not be as comfortable with you know taking over from autopilot yeah. and and taking control of the plane like that 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 could be an easy uh, thing to fall into, and I think that's the biggest reason why why DJs will will very specifically pre plan a set like that is because it's it's the gig jitters, you know, it's the the nerves. Sure. And so what happens if I get up there and I I freeze up and I don't know what to do? Right. Well, well, welcome to performing. You know, <laughs> that's how it works. <laughs> but um, I do take it a step further than than some. DJs who will say, try not to pre-plan all your sets. I actually will build a playlist like you're talking about mm-hmm. for a particular night, and I will put it in an order that I think I'll probably play it. Okay. Um, but I almost never stick with it entirely. Right. So right. It, like, it gives me a framework mm-hmm. because I'm like, so basically what I'll do, what I've been doing lately is I'll take you know, my 10 or 20 tracks that are like my must plays mm-hmm. for that night, and I'll toss them in a, a playlist. I'll put them in a I'll start listening to them because a lot of them are usually new, so I'm not as familiar with them as right. I, you know, songs that I've played a few times. Yep. And so I'll go through and listen to them individually and kind of skip through the tracks, and then I rate them on energy level using mm. the stars yep. in Tractor. So like peak of the set is five star, intro is one star, and then everything in the middle, you know, and I to kind of rate them, not what I think my general energy rating is you know, overall in music, but what right. I think how it relates to that night that or that night, set. That set. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So it's a relative rating. So I never, I almost never consider those star ratings unless I know I've built for this night, you know? So if I have an old leftover, you know, four star rating on a track, that might be a two star track and something else. So exactly. Just kind of to point out the context there. But, yep. 
Um, so I'll do that. I'll put all the star ratings in there and I'll go through my crate of stuff that is not new and see if there's anything else that I might want to work in here. And I'll toss it all in there and, and kind of order it uh, in an ebb and flow kind of way, okay. you know, so that right. the stars are kind of making a curve, you know, <laughs> right, <laughs> so right. I can drag them in and out. A little sine wave there. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, so I have that as a fallback and, and my must plays are there, but, um, inevitably I go off the rails with that because even though I can, des- I can quote unquote design the set to change an energy like that, I can't predict what the crowd's going to do or how many people are going to be there when I'm playing or anything else. And that will change my mind, right. you know, in the set, as opposed to if I were building it for a radio show. So now we're starting to get into the things like, why wouldn't you pre-plan a set? And, that is like fundamentally to me one of the reasons not to because there is an ebb and flow to any given performance or show or whatever like you know like you said there's the up the the down you know it looks like a sine wave when you talk about the energy level of a night um or even within a, a within a set you know and when when you're dealing with that that is very different from you know a a constant curve or not even a constant curve but a, a gradual upward slope yeah you know where you know you start here with your minimal techno guy at 9 p.m and then end with your dnb guy at, at you know 2 a.m you know like it's it's more complicated than that and even you know when you break it down to your set it's more complicated than that yeah. because what if you know 15 minutes into your set that's when you know the bachelor party comes in or right. or what if that's when you know uh last call starts or, you know, and, and all of a sudden everybody runs to the bar to go get their last drink, you know, like what, you know, there, there's, there's so many things that happen on the fly that sure you can plan for, you know, that, that steady upward slope and, and energy level and, um, and, what you think is a logical pro- progression from one song to a next, and that's what's going to hook yeah. everybody, and you're going to have them. But reality is, that's not what happens. Yeah, you can plan for the how the music will, the the songs will interact with each other, right. but you can't cater to what's happening once you get there. Right. Um, and you I th- know. and I think with with like all of those big festival headliners, you know, I mean they have a little bit of luxury there because, you know, if anybody's ever been to one of those festivals, I mean, yeah, you're talking 30,000 people and they're all crammed like sardines into this field. So it's not the same as, you know, trying to keep the same 50 people or a hundred people or 200 people on a dance floor in a nightclub or a rave or, or, uh, even a a wedding. Yeah. And and, and 50 people in a big closet is a way different situation (laughs) than 30,000 people outside in the sun. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, like I said, I think there's a little bit of, of luxury there because they all talk about, you know, well, I only have this one hour to cram every big hot track that I want to mash into this set. Well, you know, okay, I guess that's cool for what you're trying to do there, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the other thing that comes into play here is, you know, depending on what, what type of DJing you, uh, that you do. So 
if you're the kind of DJ that takes requests or if you're doing a show that requires um, time-sensitive interaction. Like right. I always bring up a fashion show. Right. Know, so maybe I'll need to adjust on the fly while things are happening. Right. Like if you have a very specific planned out hour-long block of music for something like that, good right. luck. Right. You know, but <laughs> that sounds like terrible to me. Like I would rather be completely unprepared than to force myself into that box because right. that's just not going to work. Right. Well, I mean, like Jaws said, like, you know, your heart jumps out, your mind starts racing, and then you, you come to that point where you say, okay, I have to react. I, I, yeah. I, I either sink or I swim. You know, and, and is that sync with a Y? Uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> um, and you know, the other thing is when it comes to pre-planning sets, um, some people will care about this and some people won't, but there's also that stigma amongst your other DJ friends and stuff where, right. you know, you kind of talked about earlier that people kind of got laughed out of the booth if they showed up with a, a note card with, you know, here's how I'm going to play. Right. Um, if that's something you care about, you know, and earning the respect of your peers and kind of stuff, like that's something that kind of a lot of us will, I don't want to say we get shamed into doing, you know, performing one way or another. Right. But I, I feel like that probably plays a factor as well. well but... <sighs> And I'll play devil's advocate on that. I guess for me, like, there are certain elements of DJing that are part of the craft. Mm -hmm. And, you know, is there a time and a place for a pre-planned set? Yes. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm not so close-minded to the idea that I would say, you know, no, nobody should ever do it. But, like, you know, in the context that I've ever seen somebody doing that, like, it was always, like... Uh, you know, like what kept them from just recording that and hitting play on the CD? Exactly. Like, and and when and you know when the 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 time one of the times that really that, that comes to the forefront for me was, um, you know, you have a a a set amount of time, and uh, uh, we were at a show, and. My buddy was was playing after this guy and the guy like had his set list out and he was running over his time. And my buddy's like, hey, man, it, it's it's time for you to, you know, it's it's yeah. time. <laughs> and uh, the guy said, no, I got two more. Uh, I'm not done yet. <laughs> yeah. And my buddy's like, uh the clock says you got no more. <laughs> and the guys, uh, you know, so then the guy's all like, well, I got, I got started. Uh, uh, the guy before me ran over by a record, you know, I'm going to run over by a record and you know, whatever. But my buddy is like, uh, uh, well, I'll, I'll grant you the one. So then the, the, you know, so he goes on and the guy, you know, plays the one more and then he goes to get another record out of his bag and my buddy stops him and he's all like, hey, man, no, your time is up. I gave you the one record, you know, show me the respect of, of time because now I'm going to run over on somebody else. Right. And then um, you get to be that jerk for the next guy. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And for the record, I, I will almost never be that guy. Yeah. Like I used to because, you know, 
my hour was my hour, but you know, it does, it causes so many rifts and it causes so many like, you know, I try to do everything I can to make that the promoter's problem because it is, um, in most cases now, obviously not every gig's the same and not, not everything's a nightclub gig gig at all, you know, but yeah, uh, just a sidebar. But, um, so like, so that, (laughs) so then, uh, so they end up arguing. Well, at the end of the argument, or the 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 capstone to the argument was, I'm not done with my set list. And then we both just, I mean, I, I felt bad because, or I feel bad now. I didn't feel bad at the time, but we just laughed at this guy. I mean, just, are you serious? That is the incorrect response. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, um, yeah. So like this guy is sitting there and I mean, he had it all written out on a piece of college ruled notepad and he had notes and all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, man, is this a homework assignment <laughs> or are you here to rock, man? Like, you know, let's Let's do, let's do what we do. And that is so like that coming back to my original point, like there's, to me, there's, there's a time and a place for it. Sure. But there are certain elements of what is considered our craft. And I think that those types of things should be respected, you know? So if it's, even if you're a new DJ and you start out doing pre-planned sets, then be able to know that that's not always going to work and and work on whatever it's going to take to get you to that point where you are comfortable as a performer to say okay I'm going to go out there with this broad or even somewhat narrow idea of what I'm going to present but if I need to adjust, then I need to adjust. Or yeah. if I need to stop early, well, then that just means I either need to cut a couple of tracks out or I'm not going to play those closing tracks that I really wanted to get to. Yeah, so we've talked before a little bit recently about you know the difference between people who think you should basically improv everything and those who, this is what you get, take it or leave it. Right. right. And that's kind of where my angle comes in on this is mm-hmm. that the the best the best thing about having a human in control of the music is that reactivity mm-hmm. you know, they're right the human element the human element yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not just that they could and may or may not make mistakes it's that they can react to what's happening in the room uh, so far better than a machine can right um, do we want to talk about your about the uh, interview there was a I think it was for what biz. Let me make sure I say that correctly. EDM Biz 2015, there was an artist panel, and uh, there were several people, uh, Z Trip and Nicky Romero and a few people on stage Man. talking about this issue. And It was had a actually lot of- a decent panel. Like, I was I was kind of surprised. It was from back in, like, uh, April. It, it was a neat panel. Like Yeah, so there's it, a lot of interesting things on both sides, uh, right. I think. Right, like you had um, Cruella. Which you know, better or worse, you know that with their all of their controversy, um, they had some interesting things to say. Uh, you had Blau and um, uh, Pretty Lights, Z Trip, Nikki Romero, uh, a couple of others, but like, uh, like there there was one section of this panel. It was like a forty five minute like panel. Um, uh, where they were, you know, talking about a, a myriad of issues and, 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 um, you know, just getting these people's thoughts. And, um, there's like one section uh, that's like maybe 10, 10 minutes of it. 
that really honed in on Nikki, Z Trip, and Blau. And it gets, I don't know if I want to say heated, because, I mean, they're all yeah. respectful, but yeah, it gets yeah. it gets very energetic and interesting. Yeah, 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 very much so. Um, so it, it was really neat because um, to hear all of these people that are at that level that are debating yeah. this same topic that we it's debate. It's not just us, right? Yeah, it's not just us <laughs> bitching about it down here in the, right. in the cesspools and the, <laughs> of the DJ world, you know? No, like the, the, the upper ranks are, are all about, you know, calling each other out or defending their positions as well for doing what it is that they do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, if anybody wants to uh, check it out, check out the whole thing, we'll we'll post the link in the show notes, and um, uh, it, it it really is worth the watch. Um, but the 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 part that we want to kind of hone in on starts um, right around the twenty minute mark, I think, maybe twenty one, twenty two minute mark, and um, the whole thing starts because Nikki Romero. Um, he was asked a question and then he kind of ends up saying some things like, um, you know, his definition of a DJ for better or worse, you know, (laughs) um, is that DJing is someone who plays music and, and, and I think we've, we've gone over that definition plenty of times. I mean, we had the, the whole episode about what's an artist versus a DJ and, 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 um, you know, what, what, what all of that means. And I think that was part of our core definition was that, you know, yes, if you play music for (laughs) other people, you're basically a DJ at the, at the like fundamental root. But, um, he goes a step further talking about, what it is that those performers do at that level. And he says that DJing is only one piece of what they do. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, so implying, you know, that, you know, there's a lot more to it than just pushing play on the CDJ. So I'm a performer and part of that performance includes DJing. Right, right. Exactly. Um, so then, um, you know, so then there's a little bit of exchange and uh, here, let's let's take a listen. To yeah, that. yeah, let's let's pull it up. <laughs> what is a DJ in 2015 in in your mind? Um, <clears throat> wow, uh, I'm so blown away by what Derek just told. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's really hard to say because uh, you know there's so many different people that have a different view on what a DJ is that it's almost unsafe to say what is mine. But um, I. I think, if I may give my opinion, I think it's just someone who likes to play music, doesn't matter what he uses, doesn't matter how he does it, or she, sorry about that. <laughs> um, but um, no, I think, I think it's just all about um, someone who likes to perform music on stage, could be either way, um, different than a band, you know what I mean? Um, I started out as, as a DJ playing vinyl, but that was only for one and a half years. Then they switched to, to CDs because it was easier. And um, yeah, I, I had to buy all the records at the stores for the clip that I was playing for. So that's how I started out. And then I felt a DJ, to be honest. But now I'm playing with SD cards and I still feel DJ. So 
didn't really change so much. Um, I think it's really important that you just, you know, do, do what you like. It doesn't really matter what kind of stamp you get, but I don't know. I, if people ask me, like, do you feel a DJ? I was, I'm always like, a DJ is just, just like a small part of what we do in general. You know, there's a production process, but there's so many different layers of, of doing this work that a DJ is only 20% of what you do. You know, one, one thing that makes me think of, um, last year, last year or the year before at EDC, um, I was listening to Cascade on the main stage, and I could tell he was really DJing. You know, it wasn't that sound of a production being too perfect, <laughs> you know, like it was done a million times or synced with a light show. You could tell he was playing records live whatever that record, that recording was. Um, and I felt like, you know, that's bold, especially on the main stage. You could hear. Well, um, and I think part of it is hearing the humanity, you know, like the imperfection is important. The imperfection. So that's kind of an interesting thing because there, it, it almost splits people, I think, because on the one hand, you have people expecting perfection. right. And so if you don't deliver that, they're like, ah, ah, ah. What, what was that? Oh, you're messing up. You know? But then like on the other hand, people expect perfection. And for the same reason, you know, it can go the other way. I mean, right. it's so, you know, people expect something laser sharp or if they hear, if they can tell that you're a human playing music, then this other set of people appreciate it that much more. For me, like it's just, it, it, it boggles my mind that you know for the host um that was the host speaking at the end there yeah by the way. that was the host speaking and and I don't, I'm and I'm sorry I don't know who that was um but um it was it it, it just boggles my mind you know 16 17 years into DJing that 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 statement even needed to be made that yeah. like you know that um that you know he was so impressed at the at hearing imperfection or th mm. th that that hearing imperfection was was refreshing or whatever because you know for for those who are just getting into it if you've never tried to beat match with a pair of techniques or turntables in general it's not a hard process but it is incredibly difficult to make it sound perfect every single time yeah you know so when we were coming up in clubs and and raves and warehouse parties and all of those things regardless of your genre whether it was hip-hop or or pop or or you know any kind any flavor of edm you know hearing just that that slight off yeah. You know, that just that that slight, you know, wave between two records like you knew when when something was coming in and that was okay. You know, it was more about how is that DJ putting those things together? And yes, we as DJs, you know, worked so hard to try to make it as perfect as possible, but when you're dealing with Now it's easy. It, right. You yeah. when you're dealing with, you know, mechanical things that are not 100% perfect all the time, like digital is, you know, you are never, ever, ever going to have it of 100% accurate beat match through any 
our set. I don't care who you are, you know, yeah. unless you are a robot. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, so the fact that we've gotten ourselves to this point that that's what we expect is pristine beat matching all the time and pristine, you know, mixes and all of that stuff. Like, don't get me wrong. I don't want to hear, you know, some half sloppy shoes in a dryer, you know, shit show for an hour. But at the same time, like, I don't expect perfection. I actually like to hear that somebody's bringing something in. But it's like the the general overall feeling is, I have to be perfect, but I have to do it manually. You know, and I have to do it every time or I'm going to get called out. But if I get right. any kind of mechanical or software assistance, I'm also going to get called out. <laughs> so it does kind of leave people in a weird gray area sometimes. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so... Um, yeah, it just it, but you know, it's just one of those things that like it is a polarizing topic, but um you know what I what I do like is that there are some people out there that that do appreciate those imperfections. Um Well, I know Z Trip is one of them. Right. I, so, I'm interested in hearing his thoughts on that cuz he's got a lot to say. Oh yeah, <laughs> especially in this interview. I mean, this isn't the only time he's he's been outspoken about it, but um I mean, he pretty much uh, wraps it all up with a neat bow on and, and, is, <laughs> and, and is not only respectful in his, in his, uh, very passionate delivery, but he also manages to be humorous about it. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's give it a listen. Z trip. Maybe you could speak on that because okay. that's, that's what it should be. You know what I mean? If you think about it, that's the way that's, it started out, you know, we're taking two things that aren't supposed to go together and we're finding it the spot to mix. Oh, it's only eight bars and the drums sway and you're mixing and it's all whatever. So there was an imperfection in what we were doing. The whole basis of what we're doing is based off not, you know, we created it. The interesting thing is as it has evolved and technology has happened um, and it's been great, you know, I embrace it, everybody does because it's what pushes this thing forward. But I was going to say, listening to them and listening to Derek and everything, and I think we can all agree that improvisation is the one piece that is missing to a lot of people's sets. You know, when you're like, it was amazing to hear him play a set. It's like, fuck, that's what we should be hearing from everybody, right? I mean, like, I mean, and, and you know, and not to downplay people who work on sets and do specific things, there's, there's an art to that as well. But the reality, man, is, um, you know, you can't show up to a pre plan thing and, and, and expect it to work. Like the best thing is when you're up there and you're looking at it and you're like, they really don't feel this, but they really feel that. That's why I get to shows early. I'm like, I'm studying. I'm like, what are they into? What are they liking? Oh, they hated that. Or he set that up horrible or she didn't do it right. Or whatever. So I'm, once I sort of get an idea of what, what's working, I, then I know, okay, man, I had an idea. I might have an, a two or three song intro plan, but once I'm in the guts we're rocking. And, and something that I want to bring up too, which is kind of funny, I was having a conversation with a friend the other day who also DJs, and I was like, when was the last time you heard a DJ mess up? And he's like, what? I'm like, yeah, man, remember like when the beat would go off and, you know, and then they would catch it and bring it back? I was like, when was the last time you heard that? Like, that doesn't happen anymore. There's so much technology to keep everything locked in place and everyone in a groove and everything's gridded out that the, the soul and the humanity, like when it would get off, that's when my ears would go up and be like, oh, he's fucking up. But then, but, but wait, 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 wait. Oh, he got it, he got it, he got it. It's like surfing. You're looking at somebody like, oh, they're, oh, they're gone. Oh, he's in it, he kept it. Like you, when they're rocking a mix, there's something about that, man. And the crowd, I will tell you 
When I've done pre-planned sets, they work and it's cool. But when I'm up there and I'm like, hey, where are we going today, guys? And we just go on a journey. They're on that journey with you. And they get to see and feel if you mess up. And when you hit a high point, they're high pointing with you. When you hit a low point, they're low pointing with you. But the thing is, it's this instead of this. So what he's talking about there at the end, which you can't see without the video, is he's he's moving his hands in that kind of up and down sine wave motion. Instead of it's this, it's this. And he points his hand up in an upward ramp kind of position. Right. And that kind of speaks to that. I, I like how he put that um, when when you show up and you say, okay, guys, where are we going? Right. They're kind of on that journey with you. Yep. And I, it, that made me think back to some of our local shows here in Dayton, Ohio, because in a situation like a city like Dayton, which we, for a big name DJ, we might have a few hundred people show right. up, you right. know. Right. And when you can tell when the DJ shows up and plays to that crowd instead of plays their festival set. <laughs> and right. because the crowd that shows up for that show mm-hmm. typically is overall a more, I don't want to say educated, but they're more in the know about what's going on. They might be a fan of that DJ specifically or of the DJ culture or whatever, more so than necessarily just showing up to, to Burning Man or, or whatever festival. Right. So when you when the DJ realizes that the crowd knows what you're doing up there and brings you along for that journey, you know, you can tell the crowd reacts to that kind of stuff. Even when they do have those little moments where something starts to slip a little bit and then they bring it in (laughs) and stuff. Like I've seen crowds react. Like sometimes that's a positive. Oh yeah. Like making a little mistake and then coming out of it. I've seen people cheer for that. I've, I've actually had that happen to me. Nice. You know, like, and, and because, you know, um, as DJs, especially those of us that came up as beat matchers, you know, like, I mean, that's, that, that was a very manual thing that we learned. It's a very manual thing that many of us still do. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't, I, I, I no longer, shall I say, um, you know, thrash or trash the sync button. Do I use it? No, not really. Um, but you know, it, it has its place. It, it does its thing. For me, um, I I still prefer to to beat match. Um, but yeah, like I've actually been in that situation where you know, and it, and it was like a smaller show, so it's just me and some other train spotting DJs, and you know, <laughs> you know just stuff like that, and um, and yeah, like. You know, uh, you know, it happens if you're going to manually beat match by ear. Sometimes you lose, you know, that 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 groove and, and it starts to wander off. And yeah. And, and as as it's wandering off, you know, all of a sudden the blinders go on for me. OK, I'm losing that beat. I got to get it back. Yeah. And as I'm, you know, you know, doing my my pitch bends and, and everything to get everything back in on track and then as i get everything locked back in and then you know the blinders kind of come off and the next thing i know there's like three or four of my buddies around the table (laughs) and a couple of people that are all like you know that are right there at the front of the decks and they're all like yeah Yeah. (laughs) like they totally heard and saw what, what what i did and i was all like Oh, there, there's certainly like a, a a chemical reward that happens in your brain, right? Right. Both 
as you, you know, being the DJ and anybody else who's in the know that knows what just happened. <laughs> right. There's just that, that adrenaline, like, oh, yeah, you got yeah. it. Yeah, yep, yep, exactly. <laughs> and, I mean, because, I mean, nobody wants to wants to train wreck and, and you know, um, and that and that you know it has a certain level of embarrassment to it, you yeah. know. And I mean, you know, it, you you want to put forth the best possible product, but you know, as, as in real life, you know, sometimes shit happens, and yeah. if you're able to pull yourself up out of that. You know that's that's rewarding, but then to have other people acknowledge it, like you know, if if Z Trip was standing off to the left and was over there cheering for me because I pulled off, you know, yeah. a fix, man, that would be like an ego boost. You know, it'd be great. But so I think uh, uh, Nikki and Blau kind of bring up some of the other points yeah. that we brought up about you know why why this could be useful and why it happens and, and right. you know, yeah. maybe we can listen to their rebuttals and yeah this is where the this whole conversation will start to get interesting because you know uh, z trip is a very uh, uh powerful presence yeah on and off the stage anyway so um you know so he's got you know some pretty solid opinions and and he's uh very direct in his delivery and he and he's, he's confident he's got that absolute, swagger about him and, exactly yeah. and and he's very intelligent and is able to back up everything with logical reasoning and facts to go with it. Um, now, Nikki and, and Blau have their own reasoning, and as they are, they find themselves kind of defending, you know, the stigmatized position. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, um, so it, this this is where the the conversation kind of you know, takes a turn and, and, and it's, and it's really interesting to see how they all kind of interact with each other. All right, let's give a listen. It's a really good point, but we have to deal sometimes like a lot of us is, are traveling a lot and never have time to get there early sometimes. And at the same time, there's festivals expecting us to play one hour or sometimes 55 minutes and you have to squeeze everything in and make sure that you play everything when yeah. you want Nick, to play you too many hits. of your label. Well, no, it's just, you know what I mean? That's no, a that, great problem it's, to have, it's right? Really, it's really that hard. Like, you, you know, you don't have time yeah. to, no, to, I mean, you know, you all, have one all, hour and you have, to, you have to make sure that you play everything that you want to play and that you support everyone that you want to support. Totally. Well, also, so, totally. also there's, the, there's the expectation of a performance and not exactly, a little yeah. performance, a big yeah. show. Okay, I, I, under, exactly. I totally get that. And yeah. I know that the, the visuals and the production's Fire got a links. link with you. I get all that. Like that's, that's understandable, but you know, an intro and an outro, fine. Give me something in the middle that's different, I you know? So again, so if I saw you at the last thing, I don't go, oh yeah, there it is. That's the, you know, cause maybe you didn't have time to, to whatever, you know? I just think that there needs to be a little more of that in there, just, I mean, this is from a fan of, of the shows, you know, you go to shows and you want to see somebody give a little bit different, and you want that experience to be different, like, I saw them here, and I got to experience this, and they're like, oh, I saw them here, and I got to experience that, and they're two different things versus, oh, it's the same yeah. kind of thing, because after a while... It's completely, it's completely gonna... dependent on the genre, and I think that's, that's the one missing piece. I, I grew up, I don't know how to DJ. I don't. I don't know how to mix. I don't know how to beat match. I just learned how to use CDJs. Sure. But I was the kid in the dorm room in that new Zac Efron movie who just wanted to play with sounds. Like, that's sure, my story. Sure, sure. And I have, you know, I've watched an Instagram video of TJR going nuts on CDJs. I'm like, whoa, I wish I could do that. But I really do think it's dependent on the genre. I think it's the room that you're in. It's the performer that you expect to see. And my sets are almost entirely pre-planned for festival sets. I, you know, I'm happy admitting that. When I'm in a club and I'm playing a two-hour set, 
I'm mixing in different things. I'm yeah. mixing in acapellas because exactly. I'm DJing in Ableton, and I don't have to beat match, so I can just click buttons. But the truth is, for the hour set that I'm going to perform at EDC, that set isn't the hour that I'm putting in the work when I'm playing it. It's the five days of work that I'm sure, putting in, sure, thinking sure, about sure. what to mix in, what's gonna work in what key, what acapella am I gonna put over the new Martin Garrix record that he just sent me that I love. That's where the work goes in. And so I think it's really dependent on the genre. If you're a hip hop DJ or, or you're doing like live beats and live sounds, it's all about doing it live because otherwise, what's the point? You're standing there. For me, it's- Hang on, hang on, what you said right there. It's all about- Live doing it. What's the point? Or else you're just standing there. No, you're right. See that that's something that's very crucial. I don't. I, I I agree that the pre-production goes into a set. You want it to come off. You know, it's like washing a car. You want to make sure you hit every every point and that, and present it as such. I'm saying that you can still do that and still factor in a little bit of time to go off the track a little bit. As you should. That's it. That's as it. That's all I'm saying. Like, don't I, abandon your whole thing because that would be stupid. But David you know? Copperfield doesn't improvise when he's doing a new show every single night, and that, and that's the beauty of a performance. <laughs> so it goes both ways, right? Like, I no, think... Here, look at bands. Look at bands. Look at Beyonce. She tours a whole year with the exact same We're not Beyonce setup. or David Copperfield, <laughs> motherfuckers. We're DJs. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. All right. <laughs> yeah, so... Like, I, I really like how that last point, I mean, we'll, we'll come back to a couple of those different points because that was kind of a longer clip, but um, like just that sting at the end, you know, yeah. like, because yes, you can say that about bands, you know, um, but like you can, there are other bands out there that don't do that, you know, that like um, one of my favorite bands is, uh, and I think I've mentioned them on the show before, is Pussifer, which is the lead singer. It's a side project of the lead singer of Tool in a Perfect Circle, Maynard James Keenan. And it's exactly what Z Trip was talking about. If you go see a Pussifer show, you will never see the same Pussifer show if you follow them on every leg mm. of a tour. And, you know, so anytime that they've ever come to the Midwest, I will catch them in Chicago and Cincinnati and Louisville and, you know, where, wherever they stop. Is that because they jam or is that because they, they just play different shows? They, they, well, they, they play different versions okay. and have different um, uh, themes behind okay. the show as a whole. So, like, it might be the same music. You know, but there might be edits or reworks mm. or even flat out remixes or or, you know, a country version of okay. an electronic song that they did, you know, and, and then they'll they'll come out in like, you know, prairie outfits and <laughs> cowboy hats and like perform the songs on banjos and ukuleles like you know, it's just it's very bizarre. I mean, it's tool, perfect circle, right, right. you know, Maynard, James Keenan, very weird individual. He does what he wants. Exactly. <laughs> but it works, you yeah. know. And so taking a step back from that and applying it to this conversation, like that's, that's exactly what the difference is to me when you're talking about somebody like, Blau, who is very upfront and honest in that in that uh, that exchange there, where he says, "I'm not a DJ. If you put me in front of CDJs or turntables, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Yeah. Everything I do is is beat gridded and synced up in in Ableton. Not even you know. He said, "I just learned how to even turn on a pair of CDJs. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, um, you know. So 
he considers himself more of a musician that uses software to present his music, his music yeah. or his collections of, of sounds. And uh, I hate that he used that Zach <laughs> as, a, as a reference. Cause I don't know that that helped him at all. <laughs> we but I, are your friends. Anyway. <laughs> no, I do have to give give him props for sure for, for his, I mean, just the raw honesty there and Absolutely. Nikki as well. I yep, mean, yep, just yep, yep. for saying, Hey, I fully admit this is what I do and here's why. Yeah, and yeah. whether you agree with that or not, that I appreciated that. Right. And in, and unless and until w- one of us is ever lucky enough to be in that position, like I can I can have an opinion on his reason, but like until you're in that situation, you'll never fully know what it's like to be a full-on touring musician that's, you know, who knows what his schedule really is like, you know, maybe he doesn't have the time to, you know, do any crate digging or, or putting sets together. I mean, you know, one would imagine, you know, yeah, if you're on a tour bus or on a plane or, you know, at a, in a hotel room, I mean, you're not running around 23 hours a day, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, you know, it, it, one would hope that, you know, whatever, especially with all of the people who are starving out there, producers trying to get music to people at this level just to have you know the the credo that their track was played by Nicky Romero or Z Trip or whoever at such and such a show like that's that's huge for producers so these guys have no shortage of new music yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> like, um i guess what when you're pre-planning a set like that though i guess for me one of my concerns is how quickly something like that can become stale, you know? Yeah. So like what Z trip kind of touched on that, you know, you know, yeah, I love the shows, but you know, if I'm playing a show with X, Y, and Z and I see X, Y, and Z in six different cities and each one, Oh yeah, there's that guy. That's his set. Yep. And you know, by the end of a tour, you know, everybody's set by heart. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think there's something to be said for that. Yeah, Absolutely. So there's a lot to be said on either side of this issue, and I would be really interested to know if uh, the conversation today that we've had, you know, kind of presenting both sides of this, um, if we've changed any minds or if we've, you know, moved the needle on this as far as anybody, you know, things that weren't considered before. Um, If this was enlightening for you, I would love to hear about it in the comments section. So if you go to passionatedj.com forward slash 60, um, leave a comment or even better yet, leave us a voicemail at passionatedj.com. Just very easy. Click the voicemail button. Would love to know what you guys think about this and whatever Roland is doing. <laughs> That's going to wrap it up for episode 60. Thank you guys so much. Leave us your comments and voicemails and we will see you next time. Later. Thanks for listening to the Passionate DJ Podcast at www.passionatedj.com. Check out the fan page at facebook.com slash passionatedj or on Twitter at DJ with Passion. And always remember to keep on spinning. I need you. I want you. Look, when I perform, when I'm up there with, with, with you know, doing things, it's, there's a performance aspect, but there's also the thing that, at this point, the, the thing is, 
people are being called out for like, oh, just a USB and playing the thing. Why is that happening? It's because the guys who just want to mess with sounds, who are coming to these shows, who didn't really know what gear was what, are now starting to go, oh, I have an app that allows me to tinker around or whatever. They're starting to pay attention to what's going on. And if you're up there and there's this sort of thing of like, this guy's being paid X amount of dollars to do the thing and it's a, and a spotlight, we want a little bit more. Because they're starting to see and recognize that when somebody goes up there and just plays a couple things and it's painting by numbers, they're, you know, I don't, I don't, have, I don't have a problem with it. it. I have never no problem be, with it. I'm just saying it. It should I, never be that way, and I agree. But there is a difference. There's a level of that, though, I right? I wouldn't consider myself a DJ because I physically, if you put me in front of turntables or CDJs, I would suck. Sure. I would consider myself a musician who takes a lot of time preparing a musical journey that I perform for a crowd of sure, people. Sure, sure. I think Cruella would say the same in terms of how they do their sets. And yeah, they have a fuck mic in case something goes wrong. Of course. And yeah, I'm mixing in acapellas, you know, on occasion when I, I'm like, oh, wait, this is going to go here. I would do that at a festival. I did it at Ultra. But the truth is, is, is there's, there's different kinds of artists that do different kinds of things. I don't think there's one answer to the question.